The Animus is a window to the past, a door to the future. Join us as we revisit just how this journey came to be. Hello, and welcome to Visions of the Past. This is an Assassin's Creed lore podcast. My name is Andrew, and I'm grateful to see that you have found this podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the machine that makes it possible to view the past, the Animus. The big question is, what is the Animus? Simply put, it is a machine that at first allowed you to view the memories of your ancestors and would evolve to allow you to view the memories of just about anyone. We'll get into that, but first I want to talk about what Animus means outside of Assassin's Creed. The word Animus originated from Latin, where it describes ideas like rational soul, life, mind, mental powers, courage, or desire. Early in the 19th century, It'd be expanded beyond the metaphysical terms as psychologist Carl Jung related the term to our inner being, our soul life. Carl Jung's School of Analytical Psychology used the term anima and animus as part of his theory on collective unconsciousness. You see, back in the 1920s, gender roles were more traditionally defined, yet Jung found there, there is an unconscious feminine side that resides in a man and an unconscious masculine side within a woman. He referred to these as anima and animus, respectfully. But let's get back to how the animus relates to Assassin's Creed. When it was first introduced, it was meant as a plot device to link the modern-day character Desmond to his ancestor, Altair ibn al-Ahad, in the very first installment of the series we now love. Warren Vidic, a Templar leader, explains the machine as a way to decode and view memories that are passed on from generation to generation through our DNA. These memories, known as genetic memories, are memories that are present at birth but exist within the absence of the first-hand knowledge of the event and is based on the idea that common experiences of a species become incorporated into its genetic code. As great as it sounds, the animus doesn't always come easy. Sometimes the consciousness will resist if the subject doesn't have enough confidence to step within the ancestor's body. When this happens, the subject is forced back to a more stable state. This is explained to be similar to when hypnosis is used to relieve traumatic events, where the person needs to be eased or coaxed into the traumatic event rather than thrusted into the thick of it. The conscious resisting is not the only possible downside that could happen to someone exposed to the animus. When someone is overexposed to the animus, there is a chance of a disorder to surface that is known as the bleeding effect. The bleeding effect is first introduced by Lucy Stillman, who was part of the animus project and served as a confidant to Desmond. She explained the bleeding effect to be when genetic memories blend with the user's own memories, which often would lead to the user having difficulty distinguishing between what memories were their own and which were their ancestors. Lucy explains that it's similar to some forms of multiple personality and delusional disorders. There are instances where the bleeding effect would be used to have some of the ancestor's abilities transfer into the user, as seen with Desmond Miles gaining eagle vision from Altair or combat abilities from Ezio. With prolonged exposure, the bleeding effect can cause ongoing issues like the ones we saw in Daniel Cross during Assassin's Creed III when he relived the October Revolution of 1918. His experience with the bleeding effect caused him memories of his ancestors Nikolai and Inokente Orloff to bleed into his modern-day consciousness without even being in the Animus. 
Within the lore of the Assassin's Creed, the history of the Animus goes all the way back to the 1930s with the invention of the Diaglacke by Nikola Tesla. The leading Templar on the project, SS General Euro Kramer, forced Tesla to build the Diaglacke using the atomic program of the Nazis as cover. Using knowledge they obtained from one of the Apples of Eden, the goal of the Templars would be to dive into the genetic memories of captured assassins to locate pieces of Eden in which their ancestors had been in contact with and retrieve them via time travel made possible by the Diaglacke. By 1943, Kramer was viewing the past through the wormhole created by the device himself, although on February 27, 1943, when he tried to force the assassin Eddie Gorm to use the machine, the machine would explode and be rendered inactive after being sabotaged by Tesla. Kramer miraculously survived the explosion, only to be assassinated five months later. The device would be moved away from German hands after Kramer's death, into the American ship, the USS Eldridge, to be used as part of the Philadelphia Project, which was a joint project between the American Brotherhood of Assassins and the German Reich of the Templar Order, with the goal of altering history by killing Hitler before his rise to power. On October 28, 1943, the device would be powered up, but the interference of the assassin Eddie Gorm would cause the machine to fail, and instead of going back in time, would manifest the USS Eldridge in the future, for approximately 18 minutes. This, along with the damage that was done to the Apple of Eden, which powered the Diaglacke, would see the project labeled as a failure. In the late 1970s, Dr. Warren Vidic would become the leading authority on genetic memory and would guide the development of the animus that we know today. Basing the technology on previously discovered ISU technology, uh, particularly influenced by the ISU's memory seals, the animus's architecture is not actually based on them. In 1977, William Miles, Desmond's father, stole an early blueprint that he later passed to Medea Voronina, who used it at, to create the first animus entirely built by the Assassin Order. Vidic continued to craft his ideas and theories that led Abstergo developers to create the animus we now know was used in 1980 by a man with the codename of Subject One who relived the memories of Aveline de Grand Prix. Subject 1 died in January 1981 from a seizure that is believed to be caused by the Animus. Around this time, a sister program known as the Surrogate Initiative would emerge alongside Vidic's Animus project. This project centered around the idea of using donated genetic material to explore history via another person instead of a person exploring his own genetic memories. After Subject 1's death, Vidic volunteered himself as the next subject, and in early 1981, he would relive the life of his 18th century Hungarian ancestor and one of Joan of Arc's executioners over the course of a four-hour session within the Animus. Over the next two years, Vidic would continue to develop a more stable version of the Animus, and Abstergo's Lineage Discovery and Acquisition Department would bring in Daniel Cross. They would label him Subject 4. Cross relived the memories of Nikolai and Inokente Orloff. Eventually, he would suffer from the bleeding effect, and Vidic would use a replicated piece of Eden to implant a subliminal message in him, and then would send him free of the Animus project. Sergo would continue bringing in subjects to test the Animus. Over the years, the Animus would evolve, and by 2000, it would resemble a chair and require external wiring to function. On November 21st of that year, 
Daniel Cross entered an Abstergo facility in Philadelphia, where he was placed inside an animus, where Abstergo would get enough information to carry out the great purge of the assassin order. Over the next two years, the animus would undergo major changes, both aesthetically and technologically. Now, it resembled a bed. Users of the older style were noted to have difficulty interfacing with the newer tech. This model, though, would start to be produced in greater numbers, with the Philadelphia facility having a large room dedicated to multiple animi and one within the facility in Rome. Over the next 10 years, the animus saw minor updates, taking it to what Abstergo called version 1.28 in the first Assassin's Creed. But from its start, the Animus project itself had a total of 17 subjects. Most notable of these were Subject 4, named Daniel Cross, who we already talked about, and Subjects 15, 16, and 17. Subject 15 was the first known instance of a pregnant woman being in the Animus. The Animus kept confusing her memories with the genetic memories of her unborn child's father. Because of this issue, Vidic ordered Subject 15's death, and she would die on December 14, 2010, along with her baby. Clay Kazmarek, also known as Subject 16, was an assassin sent to infiltrate Abstergo's Animus Project and bring out Lucy Stillman, a mole with inside the program. Kazmarek eventually succumbed to the bleeding effect after he had hacked to the Animus and created and uploaded an AI construct of his personality within the system. And then Desmond Miles, Subject 17, who lived the life of Altair Ibn La'ahad during his time within the program. By the time that Desmond was a part of the Animus project, the machine itself would still resemble a bed, but not be very energy efficient and prone to overheating. By this time though, the assassins also had two working models of the Animus. The one developed by Voronina from the blueprints given to her by William in 1977, she would eventually use and succumb to the bleeding effect. And then there was one built by Rebecca Crane, based on partial schematics sent to her by Lucy Stillman, which they dubbed the Animus 2.0. This Animus would be slightly different than the Animus 1.28 that Abstergo used, as this one returned to the chair configuration and added subtitles to the software to help with the laggy translations. And there would also be need of a catheter inserted into the user's arm to allow the users to link to the Animus and to allow the Animus to read the user's genetic memory. The Animus 2.0 also allowed for interaction with the outside world, not only via the use of verbal communication, but also allowed the user to view information packets on the people and places that the user was seeing. Rebecca would continue to upgrade the Animus with the 2.02 version, adding a training simulation, and the 2.03 acting as a life support system after Desmond fell into a coma. During the time that Desmond was using the Animus 2.0, Vidic would turn his attention to the Animi training program. This program was meant to train numerous Templars to combat what may remained of the Assassin's Order after the Great Purge by having them run simulations within the Animus 1.28. The idea behind this, and Desmond's use of the Animus 2.0, was to allow the bleeding effect to transfer the skills of the people who originated the memories without them seeing the harmful side effects of the bleeding effect. While Desmond was in his coma and supported by the Animus 2.03, Rebecca would develop the Animus 3.0. This machine would no longer require mounting to a chair or the catheter, making it more portable and would have a different UI that changed the way the user would control their ancestor. By the end of 2012, Abstergo had advanced the Animus tech alongside the tech that was used by the surrogate initiative. They advanced well enough that together they would allow anyone to view the genetic memories of other individuals, provided that their DNA was in storage. Abstergo would use this technology to make a game console to give an interactive experience 
similar to the NMI training program, and they would use that console as a way to edit information within genetic memories, releasing these edited memories as video games. This tech would be used by Abstergo's entertainment division via the Animus Omega device in a project known as the Sample 17 project. This project would use DNA from Desmond Miles to isolate at least four different ancestors, one of which would be used for the movie Devils of the Caribbean. A deal in late 2013 would see Absurgo licensing the tech to the Indian company Mysore Tech. They would produce the Brahmin VR for the Asian market. While it would function like other versions of the Animus, it was portable, looked like a mini PC with a VR headset, and it would upload the genetic memories of its users to the Abstergo cloud. After the death of Warren Vidic, the Animus project would eventually be led by Sophia Ricken, and by 2014, she would move the project to the Abstergo Foundation's facility in Madrid. In February that year, Leila Hassan would suggest creating a new inverted six-axis motion rig version of the Animus. And while it would be initially protested, the design would be in use by 2016 as the Animus 4.3. This design disregarded the idea of a bed or chair and would anchor the user to an arm that would allow them to physically relive the memories of their ancestors. However, this would require the use of a spinal tap to access the genetic memories. In October that year, the Abstergo site in London tested out the Animus 4.35, which would remove the spinal tap, but while it limited the headaches and nausea caused by the Animus 4.3, would be less immersive, requiring a helmet and an exoskeleton. In 2017, a portable version of the Animus, known as the Animus HR8, was developed by Leila Hassan in Egypt. This Animus was compact enough to fold into what looked like a suitcase, and the spinal tap that was used by the Animus 4.3 would be replaced with a hematological link. That link would sequence the information that was stored in the user's blood cells and transmit the data to every organ unlike the 4.3 that would just transmit the data to the brain. This animus is also known to show the genetic memory from DNA of other individuals. This was shown when Layla was able to use DNA that she found in the mummified remains of Bayek and Aya to relive moments in their life. Over the next year, Layla would use the information she saw in Bayek's memories and would work with the assassins to upgrade the HR8 to the HR 8.5. Updates to the Animus for the 8.5 would include a friendlier interface, but it would also allow for the user to make changes to the memories, allowing for the user to see how things would have changed if the subject had done things differently than what they actually did. The HR 8 and the 8.5 still have issues with the bleeding effect, as can be shown by how Layla is affected after replaying the memories of an ancient Greek-human Isu hybrid known as Demos. You can't deny the Animus holds a high place within Assassin's Creed lore. It goes back to the 1930s for development, and without it, we wouldn't have the game's central idea. The playing of someone in today's time who was reliving someone in the past. Personally, I love the idea. Without the Animus, we wouldn't have an overarching narrative that would connect all the games together. We wouldn't have five games with Desmond, we just have a handful of games in a historic setting. Even the comics give love to the Animus. You see characters like Otso Berg reliving the lives of people in the 1920s, and Charlotte de la Cruz going all the way back to the Incan Empire. Speaking of the comics, seeing the thought process of Berg, who has used both Templar and Assassin versions of the devices, is interesting. He prefers the way the Assassin's device puts you into the genetic memory. They put you in there with a lurch, 
and he feels that even though the Templars have moved it out, uh, he, I believe he says years before, uh, he feels that that lurch is needed to show you the transition between past and present, your memories and your ancestors. Without the Animus, we wouldn't have Assassin's Creed, and that, that's at least the Assassin's Creed that we know. It would be a historical simulation game more than anything else without the Animus. Uh, I want to thank you for your time. Please feel free to subscribe to this podcast, and you can find me at, on Twitter at visions underscore AC. Until next time, my assassin friends, make sure to follow the creed. And to those Templars listening, may the Father of Understanding guide you.